Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 522nd episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice support at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at the U of A. And I know you guys can hear it in our voices. This is a premium It's podcast. premium. Oh, it's premium. Like I nailed that. I don't think you've ever done the introduction better. And I certainly have not. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. And uh, I appreciate your high level of modesty. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, it's because I screw it up so often. It's it's just nice to know that I didn't this time. Yeah. But many people don't know that. Let's, let's get into it though, James. We have so much, so much valuable to talk about. It's so premium. yeah, so it's this is it's bulging. Yeah. Oh, don't 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 go there. <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't thinking the same thing you were. Uh, I wasn't either, but you go there. Okay. Okay. So, All right. Let's talk about COVID. Let's start with that because yeah. it's on people's minds, whether we like it or not. And there is there's so much research, but there is occasionally stuff that I find somewhat interesting. I hope the listeners do too. Yeah. Um, so let's go through uh, three quick uh, studies. The first one is on secondary attack rates, which I found very interesting. So this is this is the idea that, you know, and, and this isn't going to change anything in your practice, but it might change it in your life because we're all catching COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are your chances of getting it if a family member gets it? And this was done in Norway. Almost everyone was vaccinated. So... Uh, like many of us in Canada are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So these were 90% of the people in the study were vaccinated. There were 31,000 homes because really the research base was, was most of Norway. Mm-hmm. And they just looked at secondary attack rates. So what's your chance of getting it if someone in your house has it? Well, if it was one of the older variants, it was around 18%. If it was Delta, it's around 19%. But Omicron is at 25 so I don't think there's really any difference between no. Delta and the other ones. But Omicron, it has been talked about that it's starting to get up there in um, its infectivity rate. Yeah. And so just interesting, even with vaccinated, and we know that vaccines at the time aren't uh, set specifically for Omicron, mm-hmm. but still a t- 25% in a, in a situation where 90% are vaccinated. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think it's easy because, you know, that... Because it's a question you kind of kind of wonder. I mean, certainly if you if someone in your household gets it, you go, "Huh, what's my chance now?" You know, or yeah, yeah. Know, how how much do I stay away from them? How much do I, you know, how much more do I stay away from? Yeah, them how much more normal? do I stay where? Where you know, how much garlic <laughs> do I wear? Do do I need a you know some sort of a silver bullet? You know, and, and all that sort of stuff. But no, it's, it's so I think ballpark you can say it's about a twenty percent because that is certainly likely higher than it would be if you didn't have someone in the home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though, you so, know, I think it, it, from the most recent stuff I saw, I mean, it, I think people are saying at least 50% of us have had COVID, period. Maybe even, oh, for sure you know, now. even more, depending yeah. on which, which variant we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the next one was published in New England Journal. That one was from JAMA. This one's from New England Journal. And it's looking at the drugs that we had dreams about. So mm. the one that I didn't even know about was metformin. Yeah, I, uh, I so hadn't this heard was, that until this either. Yeah, and then the other one is fluvoxamine, which yep. a lot of people have talked about. doesn't make any sense to me why it would work. 
But there was uh, one Nor- study Nor- that did that looked at it, and we I think we mentioned, I know yeah, and it yeah, was yeah. just it was just terrible that that study, and mm-hmm. and yet it got enough that some provinces were recommending it as an option yeah. if you couldn't get a hold of the and excuse the uh, brand name, but Paxlovid. Yeah. And and then the last one was ivermectin, which yeah, never never heard of it, never heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and and that got a lot of popularity for all the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. and it was again kind of ridiculous on the face of it. A paras a parasite drug for a virus, um, uh, it just doesn't but, make sense. Anyway, anyhow, we're not going to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. there, but we're talking about in this trial. 1,300 people in the United States who had symptoms for less than um, uh, seven days and had been positive for less than three days. So they had gotten their test uh, less than three days ago. Their age was 46 and about half of them were vaccinated. And they were given metformin, uh, 1,500 versus fluvoxamine and ivermectin. And I think there's a placebo arm but it was a, the way it was designed was it was a it was called a, a six by six design or mm-hmm. something like that. So it's or three by three by two. So it's six different arms to this study, and um, but so metformin would be compared against nothing um, mm-hmm. in the other arms, etc. So placebo in those other arms. Now, what their outcome was was hypoxemia. So that's uh, uh, oxygen sats less than ninety three, and ER visit hospitalization or death and thank goodness you're sitting james uh but for those of you um driving you might want to pull over this is so shocking this information uh no effect from any drug Mm -hmm. it's a stunner it's a stunner that uh when you do a large well done randomized control trial it turns out that these drugs that for no good reason at all uh should for no good reason at all they've been proposed as a treatment for covid and now uh they're proven that they don't work yeah and then when you have a study that shows nothing works you do subgroup analyses yeah of course you do because there's got to be truth in there somewhere Mm -hmm. if you just if you just dig enough so none were even close on any of the subgroups except for and some were tending towards harm some Mm -hmm. slightly but it was there was nothing there and then there was one outcome with um metformin um slightly reducing er hospitalization to death but i will caution you that with all of the analysis the chances of finding something false like this is virtually a hundred percent so it these drugs don't work uh, I'm, I'm going to throw this out here, James. This will be a revolutionary mm-hmm. thing. We should use drugs with proven effect. So, so can you a little slower so I can write it down? I know. <laughs> I know it's crazy on the face of it. Yes. But, but no, rather no, than yeah. listening to your social media outputs and, and influencers, you should use drugs that have proven effect. It's crazy. Now, I know on social media, there was a comment made that, well, ivermectin was not used for 12 years. There was a duration thing there that it was, yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, so, yeah, I, and so people always try and look for that. Well, why didn't it work? Right. This is, this is a, a logic fallacy mm-hmm. called special pleading. And so people will look for a reason why their belief system is affronted by the truth. Um, and so they, they it's a, it's a classic kind of, 
you know, if I don't, if I don't believe the truth, I swear it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's a, that's a quote from a singer, by the way. Um, And if it wasn't the, the duration, then it would be the dose wasn't Mm -hmm. right. It wasn't started early enough. The stars weren't aligned. Um, You need to use the veterinary version of it, not the human pharmaceutical version. There would always be a reason because when someone has a core belief, a fixed belief, it doesn't change with information. In fact, mm-hmm. it just gets stronger because they look for reasons. And that's been documented. Yeah, and, 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 and I've also seen that there was a conspiracy to show that it didn't work. So they should, you yeah. know, you know any, anyway. So, you know, it, was it used for, I think it was just a few days, right, Mike? Yeah, I think it was three days. Yeah. So people are saying, well, what, if you use it for eight days, well, I'm sure. I doubt it. I mean, usually... You know, for most things, if you treat for the first few days of any infection, if it's going to work, you're going to get some benefit. But anyway, that's, yeah. So they are correct in that it wasn't for two weeks worth of therapy, but it still showed nothing. But now there's one other, one other final study you wanted to talk about. Right. And the, and the last one is about, um, again, I'll use the brand name because that's how we know it better. And the trade name mm-hmm. is awful to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Nerma. Travel there, I think. How do you say it, James? Yeah, I, how would you say that? It? that I, I, I think it's uh, aspirin. <laughs> it's pronounced aspirin. You are, you are a lot of help to the listeners. Yeah, no, that, that uh, this a is a version. That, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. This is a version of um, uh, Paxlovid, as we mentioned. Yeah. So, but it, and the, you know, there's lots from the RCT suggesting it worked well. But there was also suggestions that maybe it doesn't work that real well in real life. Mm -hmm. So this is an Israeli outpatient cohort with uh, people over the age of 40 confirmed COVID and had a severity risk score that was high enough and to, to warrant this medicine. And out of the 109,000 people they had on record, they gave it to just under 4,000 of them, mean age 67, 40% male. And then they followed them to 35 days. And so what happened? Well, if you were age of 40 to 64, it really gave you no help. Your chance of hospitalization without it was 15.8 out of 100,000 person days. And with the intervention was 15.2. So 15.8 versus 15.2, no real difference. There's a suggestion again, magic uh, time <laughs> subgroup analysis found that if you had no past immunity, no vaccination or previous infection, that the hazard ratio was much more in favor. So 0.23. So in other words, probably helpful, but not statistically significant yeah. and, and a subgroup. So caution. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the average patient 40 to 64 is likely not going to benefit from it, but patients over age 65 and over their risk of hospitalization per hundred thousand person days was uh, 59 and with the medicine, it dropped to 15. And that's per 100,000 person days. 100,000 person it's days. It's not 59% so, versus 15%. No, it's not nearly that. Yeah. But still, a, a, a notable difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, death was lower. And the reason that uh, the original RCT looked good is they reported the relative numbers, which are still really good, which they are really good. And mm-hmm. this this just supports that if you select the right patients... Uh, those over 65 at, at uh, higher risk. Um, again, it went back to our last podcast. If you're at risk for something, 
we can do more to prevent it. But if you're not at risk for something, it's it's hard to prevent it. Yeah, no, um, exactly. No, but so, no, th- these are some, so three sort of, I don't think anything earth shattering, but certainly just they answer some interesting questions. Yeah, they answer yeah. some key questions. Does does the the intervention of um, uh, Paxlovid actually work? It's a combination of two drugs, mm-hmm. both hard to pronounce, but they're, um, it's not a, pleasant drug to be on and it's very expensive so Mm -hmm. it really did need to answer the question how does it work in real life and then uh the uh old drugs that you know the dream that they would work Mm -hmm. for no good reason and then the last thing is what's your chance it's about 25 percent of getting omicron if someone in your family gets it no great stuff so i know some of you listening can't go you can't get more premium than than that but I'm going to... Pre- well, you can. You can, James. You, you can. And, and I, here, here's the title of the paper I'm going to talk about. Determination of albuterol and Montelukast post-expiry... Post-expiry... Uh, let me try that again. Determination of albuterol and Montelukast post-expiry drug strength by HPLC. Wow. That says fun all over it. <laughs> oh, it really does. <laughs> And it's like fireworks are going off in our no. minds right now. <laughs> so this was published just about a month ago. And some of you are going, are you freaking kidding me? What on earth are you talking about? And I'm still saying that. I know. No. So this is going to, this will be interesting. I almost promise. So when I looked at this, I've always had an interest in expiry dates. And we probably talked about this previously, but this was... Uh, an interesting one that literally these guys went and looked at uh, albuterol nebulizer solutions. And those are, those are liquids and not tablets. And then uh, albuterol inhalers, and then a bunch of Montelukast tablets and granules. And they, I, I'm not going to bore you with what they, they, uh, you know, they, the, the details of it, but basically what they did is they just tested these products and to see how much was left in them. And what was interesting is that, some of the sort of the post-expiratory dates of these things were in the decades. <laughs> you know, it was uh, some, it, they said that almost all of these products retain more than 90% of their listed strength for more than 15 years post uh, the expiry date. And there were two exceptions uh, for the inhalers. And the, the exceptions were they only had 85 to 88% of the listed concentration. I can't believe how far they plummeted. I know. It's, it's like a rock that's thrown <laughs> that's into, into yeah, that's, the ocean. It, yeah, that, with no gravity. But the... <laughs> with no gravity. Yeah. Okay. And some of these were multi, multi-use bottles that were unsealed and had been used and all this sort of stuff. Found in a dumpster. Yeah, exactly. Take, removed from a fossilized dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It is really hard for dinosaurs to use those inhalers because of their hands. Yeah, their little arms. They just it's can't. So tricky. Yeah, well, they anyway. have to have a partner. They, they have do. to have a friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So that got me thinking. I went, oh, what's so 50? No, wait a minute, James. You're missing a very important part oh, of the study that you didn't mention. You glossed over. And as a pharmacist, I'm quite disappointed in you. I, well, I just added to the list, but go ahead. Yeah. They gave the lot numbers. Oh, they the did. Yeah, they gave the lot numbers so that if you happen to have that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the take home. That's point. the take home message. So because of that study, and I had, I had looked at this stuff probably a decade or so ago, I, I just thought I'd go, 
well, I can't just do this one study because that's, you know, that's not really enough. So uh, there was a study about three years ago that was, did a systematic review about the stability of what they called finished pharmaceutical products. And what these guys did, and, and you know, Mike, there's been a debate about this shelf life extension for, for forever, right? Oh, yeah. And well, actually, and you presented on it with, um, to, with the veterans when they did some yeah. work on this, showing that they were throwing out drugs that were actually perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. So these guys did a systematic review. And what they did is they went and tried to find out uh, all of the different um, uh, testing that had been done. And there was a lot of stuff that's, that, that has been looked at. There's been some uh, quite large evaluations of this. And they then gave you the, the, the numbers for all of these different products. And they split them up into liquid dosage forms. And I'm, I think most people worry more about liquid dosage forms than solid dosage forms because they think that somehow it'll degrade more. But we'll get into that in a minute. So they looked at a whole bunch of them. And you know what, Mike? They had an incredible number of medications that had hung around for 20, 25 years and so on. And I'll just give you a few examples that hadn't changed, like epinephrine, you know, the uh, EpiPens. These are, uh, they looked at a bunch of these and they were uh, anywhere from five to 50 months. So not, not decades in this case, but of those, uh, the vast majority still had at least 80 to 100%. And, and I would suggest that if you have 80 to 100%, that's probably going to be more than enough for it to work because we didn't know the right dose anyway. <laughs> Most of that statement was accurate. Yeah. Well, we don't know. You know, we're gonna. But if you if you said no, oh, you're, like, you're right that it's no, we're not a hundred percent sure of what the yeah. right dose is. But we we are generally we're using one that works. Yeah. 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 No. No. Yeah. And I'm not saying that. I mean, if there is one <laughs> product that you kind of go that makes you nervous. Oh, for sure. This was it. This I is remember, it. Yeah. Yeah. I I telling someone one time they were asking because I I have allergies. Asking, well, is your it, it, and they're very committed to this whole thing. Is your uh, EpiPen up to date? And yeah. I said, no, it's absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these guys, at least, you know, there's some, certainly this is uh, uh, upwards of six, sort of sort of in the six month to four to, or so years post the expired door date that they still have absolutely enough content for it to have an effect. So again, not recommending that you do this, but just it's interesting. Yeah, and and I, I, I wasn't either. It's just, I... yeah. I very rarely have anaphylaxis, a- aka I, I haven't had it in like yeah, yeah. 30 years, so I'm not I'm not too bad to yeah, Exactly. Now there was an interesting one. This is Lasix in an injectable solution. Mike, 53 freaking years. <laughs> and it, and and again, had plummeted like a rock. It was 99.3%. Yeah, they found it in, in the back under some gurney that was stuffed exactly. under the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> Now they did give they, there. There was a couple of examples that they they found a, a, a solution of cocaine, which after seventy years it had gone down. Now, to, James, are you going to say where they found that? Yeah, again, right next to the person doing Lasix. They chose Lasix. Oh yeah, they they got a bit confused, but it it, it had it had about twenty five percent of what the original dose was in it. So you know, again, twenty five percent of cocaine is still cocaine. But yeah, um, well, and, and also like it's not pharmaceutical. No, yeah, yeah, certainly well, yeah, not and, something and, any of us would recommend. Yeah, so. and it, it, it wouldn't have been made, you know, seventy-one years ago. So anyway, that was interesting. Now the, there were some solid dosage forms that you looked at, and 
there was a, just a gamish of different uh, beta blockers as an example. And the age of these products, the I think the youngest one was eight years, but they were averaging like 25 to 30 years. And the lowest measured content, I'm just looking at the numbers here, was 98.7. Some of them had more than 100%. You know, and <laughs> they that's, actually got better. They're like wine. You need to leave them. Yeah, but you know, you know, any 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 lot has a plus minus. Probably, you know, I know that's uh, what's going on. Yeah, they're, they're exactly the same. But there was like nothing. It was you know it hadn't didn't change really at all. And you know they also had some examples of some some of the narcotics. Now an interesting one, uh, a couple of ones that they looked at aspirin tablets. And that is a really good example of something that does degrade. And, and in fact, we all know that because when if you have a, a bottle of aspirin, and you open it up, it smells like vinegar. And that's because the aspirin is actually degrading. And so they, they had some examples, these uh, aspirin bottles of 20, between 30 and 40 years, I think, something like that. And there was almost no aspirin in it. It was like 1%. Fascinating, right? Yeah. I, but, I, 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 yeah, and I don't think when you said everyone knows this, I'm sure, like, um, like in the in this conversation right now, fifty percent of us didn't know that. Oh come on! You've opened a bottle of aspen and smell it. Smells like uh, vinegar. I I actually have never opened a bottle of aspirin. Okay, well there we go. <laughs> but the cocaine. This is our last podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> I am so disappointed in you. The, uh, um, then there were um, there was there was some amphetamines from about thirty to forty years ago, and they'd cut they'd gone down to about fifty percent. But you know there was codeine at ninety nine percent. What else we got? Caffeine and a whole bunch of other things. They're all around one hundred percent. And then they also had a whole bunch of uh, uh, antibiotics uh, uh, and antivirals: acyclovir, ampicillin, ciprofloxacin, uh, and then some NSAIDs: flurbiprofen. Blah, 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 blah. And almost without exception, there was one diphenhydramine that after 25 years, it was down to 50%. But all of these other NSAIDs and uh, there was perfenazine and uh, diphenhydramine. One diphenhydramine was actually fine. And then a bunch of antibiotics. They were all in the 99%, 98 to 99% of what they were originally there. And I think, well, their con- their, these guys' uh, conclusions was, and I love this, uh, Maybe we should replace the expiratory dates with something else. And what they said is to do retesting dates. Now that creates, can you imagine? Could you imagine <laughs> that just creates an entire? That's just a gong show of, of what to do, right? Yeah, um, and bring in your best. So who's going to pay for that? Where? Yeah, and I, and I don't think crazy. they mean individually testing it. I mm-hmm. think they kind of probably mean that you know we will take a whole bunch of lots and maybe test them later on, which has actually been done with other cases because there's been a few examples in, in uh, certainly some industrial and developing countries where they couldn't afford the medication and they've gone and gotten other stuff and then tested it. Expired. Yeah, yeah, expired drugs to see if, if it would work because certainly I, I would much rather have an expired medication than no medication at all, especially if it's something serious. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, their review, they stated that it was uh, certainly not uncommon, and I'd say it was very common, that the actual shelf life exceeded the manufacturer assigned one by at least three or four fold. And yeah, yeah. even oh, for a lot sure, longer but, than that. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to make one correction, James. You said that the the diphenhydramine was uh, 54 or 55%. Was it, it, and, it, it, no, it, 
the, the correction is, is that was the duration in minutes of the nap after the investigators oh, took it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, fifty-four minute nap. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they, they, yeah, they also, yeah, they, they actually gave all these drugs to people to see if it had an effect as well. So. <laughs> that's how much they. That's how they measured the effect. The effect, yeah. <laughs> how do you think it's working? hundred oh, percent. Yeah, Good. yeah. We'll write that yeah. number down. <laughs> um, so, you know, this there's so many things to unpackage here, as you know. You, for about 500 and I think we were on our episode 522, but for at least 700 podcasts, we've been talking about the issues of dosing. <laughs> And I think, you know, let's assume that in the worst scenario, the measured content was like 80%. That is still perfectly fine for almost everything we do because we, the choices of doses and stuff that we make anyway. I mean, if you're, you know, when when a drug comes out, it doesn't come as a 50 milligram and a 55 and a 60. It's either 50 or 100. That's a doubling. Or if you know antibiotics, it's your decision between 250 and 500 is your guessing. You know, James, you might be guessing, but for uh, for we clinicians, we know in our heart what the right dose is. Yeah, like five hundred is two fifty is good, but five hundred is really good. Um, and 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 isn't that what one of your preceptors? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it feels good. The other one feels yeah. One gram feels good, but two grams feels real good. And that was, and he was a (laughs) like a massively well known ID guy. Uh, and uh, and and if, and if you even think about the variation that we have in all of these things, I mean, the uh, m- to the best of my understanding, the lowest dose that it can be that the degradation that can occur, I think, by the FDA is about ten percent. And and but you know, we miss doses. We have day to day variations, and even drugs like warfarin, um, you know, the dosing of that is even at best tricky and and let's assume it was five percent tricky yeah <laughs> here's it, your understatement <laughs> yeah well it's tricky in that you know i and you know because you follow inr and it's you know inr just stands for it's never reproducible and <laughs> and it's it's a really tricky thing to do but you know if there was one drug that we do sort of adjust the dosages by you know a milligram or two sometimes and even then you can debate that but even then a milligram of a five milligram morphine tablet is still 20%, you know, so it's, it's really tricky. And so I think, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I, 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 we can't confidently say, just go ahead and use any medication. But I certainly think I, I never throw out medications. I just have them and I keep them in the house and in case I ever need them. I don't know what you do, Mike. I, you know, I, I know I'm going to get into trouble because people say, well, you've got to make sure you take them to the farms, you get them disposed of properly. But I never do because it's surprising how often either I or someone else might need them. Uh, and and <laughs> which medicines are those, James? Well, no, like, I've, like corticosteroids and antibiotics <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. And no, I can say I... this because I don't care anymore about these things. <laughs> So, you know, I think it's... You heard it here first. Yeah. It's the premium podcast. But I think, you know, it's... it's. Uh, I, I, I think this is something that really... Something should be done about this because it's an incredible waste of money. And I, and I think people get very worried when they see this expiratory date. Now, if you've, you know, if you've left the, the, uh, the cap off next to your shower and it's always a hot steamy shower and maybe that's 
not good. But in general, and I think we do need to do something about this, but this is not going to come unless you have someone like either the FDA or uh, Health Canada. And I don't think any drug companies are going to push this. No, because it's not in their interest yeah. at all. Yeah. So we just thought it would be interesting that you that there is just oodles of information showing that the expiry dates are are just not have nothing to do with whether or not the product still has uh, con- uh, useful content in it. And in fact, for the maybe not aspirin. Maybe not drugs for anesthesia, uh, because you know you, you want to make sure you know what's in those. But for anything that's not immediately life threatening, I think you know we can use medications way past that expiry date. Uh, and again, this is not an official recommendation because I don't think we're supposed to do that. But it's pretty official. Okay. And how long have you been in practice again? What was your uh, well, I, I I I will be removed in a couple of days. For this when did you start again? Because yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how long the medicines are that you have stored up at your oh, house. Oh, yeah. Well, it, I, I think I've been... Uh, uh, this is, uh, yeah, p- close to 40 years. So I've still got a lot of good and stuff. And you took handfuls of pills on your graduation absolutely. day. You took them home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we uh, when I went through the program, it, for you, you had to take every medication just to see how it made you feel. And that was your, that was your education. Yeah, that was the education. And uh, yeah, uh, in fact, a a colleague of mine, Bob Rangner, I remember he, they, they were taking uh, beta blockers in doing some of the research they did. And they were using like of propranolol, like 500 to a thousand milligrams of propranolol. (laughs) And they wondered why their heart just went thump. And then another few seconds, thump. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes later, yeah. one solid beat. Yeah, but yeah, but those those were the good old days. So anyway, we thought uh, uh, that uh, you might find that interesting. I think you know, if for no other reason than personal use, you now know that the the best evidence that we have is that these drugs don't all of a sudden just uh, degrade uh to to nothing over a period of you know two or three years but you already made no, there is that. talk about one james that like uh the tetracyclines i think or something yeah i think there's, yeah. there's an accusation that they become threatening yeah I, i've read that and i literally tried to find the evidence for that so I, one way or the other and it's really tri- the, the, there's a, a thought that the tetracycline in some cases when it breaks down, it breaks down to some sort of a toxic metabolite. And I'm not making this up, but it's, it's, I, I haven't gone back and looked at it in, in recent years. So if there's one maybe that you wouldn't do and there was nothing, I don't think there was a tetracycline in this list that I can see. I don't think there was. Um, so that might be the one exception, but that is on pretty sketchy data, uh, of whether it is actually toxic or not. So you might want to do tetracycline, but there you go. Yeah, might want to not include yeah, tetracycline yeah. In, that's, your, in your reservoir. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly, you know, if it's two or three years out, I still would be fine with it. But, you know, that, but that's, and that was tetracycline. That wasn't docacycline or minocycline. That was strictly tetracycline to the best of my knowledge. But if the listeners out there have any other information on that, we would love to hear it. Uh, anything else, Mike? No, I think that's it, James. Yeah. So just, uh, uh, just we'll put a quick plug yeah, in go ahead. for CFPC Learn. Yeah. So CFPC Learn is a you can listen to this podcast and get credits for it. Yeah. Um, on CFPC Learn, you can also um, listen to a few other types of podcasts. You can uh, read tools for practice. You can do all sorts of things and get direct credit entry. Um, 
So please check it out. Uh, CFPC Learn. If you Google that, you're off to the races. And uh, I may as well promote my book, The Nutrition Problem. You might as well. Might as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. If you're interested in knowing what evidence we have for eating, uh, we've done a few podcasts on it, but uh, uh, I would love it if you pick up a copy. If for no other reason than I would love you to read it and tell me where I made mistakes. <laughs> Not that I did, but I, you never know. <laughs> Not that you could. Yeah, no. And, and in fact, pe- some people have pointed out some things as they've gone through the book. And, and I've, the nice thing about it is I can make corrections on it because I can upload it to Amazon uh, with revisions and all that sort of stuff. So any comments are more than appreciated. So uh, check that out. It's uh, available on Amazon. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later. Uh-huh.